0: Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times, you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is The Morning Shift. In just a bit, you'll hear about the nonprofit I Grow Chicago and the group's growing peace campus in the Englewood neighborhood. But first, the latest in the abortion debate. Title X is a federal grant program that began in the early 1970s. It's the only federal program dedicated solely to providing low-income or uninsured people with family planning and related health services. Back in February, the Trump administration put in a new rule that prevents organizations who accept Title X dollars from making abortion referrals. That rule took effect last night. Planned Parenthood objects, calling it a gag order and says it puts the government between doctors and patients. The organization announced it won't abide by the new rules and will pull out of Title X. Here's Planned Parenthood's acting president and CEO, Alexis McGill-Johnson.
1: By imposing this unethical gag rule on our providers by saying that they had to withhold information about abortion care, they put us in an untenable situation and forced us out of a program because we just refused to be bullied into providing substandard care.
0: NPR's Sarah McCammon joins us now to explain how much funding Planned Parenthood may lose and what that loss would mean for patients across the country. You know, Planned Parenthood has been cagey about how much
2: money flows into the organization through Title X. I've seen numbers reported in the press. Um, I have not been able to get those confirmed. So I'm not going to repeat information that I haven't myself reported out, though I've tried. And I've asked this question directly of Planned Parenthood multiple times. What I can tell you is that the entire program, uh, Title X, is $286 million nationwide. Planned Parenthood serves, they say, about four in 10 patients. I wouldn't necessarily say that's 40% of that total figure. It doesn't necessarily translate that way, but they're um, the largest single provider of these services through Title X. We also know from Planned Parenthood's um, annual financial reports that are required by the federal government that about a third of their budget is public funding, um, various types of government funds. Now, a lot of that's going to be things like Medicaid. So, um, again, you can't directly correlate. That's what I can tell you. And the impact will vary state by state, because again, you have individual Planned Parenthood affiliates in different states, you know, sometimes directly applying for the funds. Uh, Also, the funds will sometimes go through state governments to other organizations, to other health clinics. And really, how that funding is distributed and how heavily an area relies on that funding is going to dictate how much patients feel the impact. But what could happen, at least in some places, is that clinics will have to provide fewer services, raise the prices that patients see when they come in, uh, maybe longer wait times, Planned Parenthood says. And a lot of patients who get Title X uh, services don't necessarily know that that's how they're getting their services. as a woman. You know, maybe a college student just comes in and says, I need birth control. I don't make much money. They look at her finances and say, OK, you know, it's free or it's very inexpensive. And those costs to patients could go up or they could have to wait longer for them.
0: Well, this development comes at a time when many states with Republican-led legislatures are passing anti-abortion bills. It also comes shortly after a fifth conservative judge, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, joined the nine-member Supreme Court, giving the conservative wing a majority for the first time in decades. So I want you to just place this moment we're in nationally into context when it comes to reproductive and sexual health care rights.
2: There's been uh, for decades now, right, a a battle over abortion rights at the state legislature level, at the federal level. And anti-abortion activists and, and Republicans have succeeded in making a lot of gains in state legislatures and also now in the Supreme Court. This was a major I covered the Trump campaign. This was a major focus for a lot of. Voters I spoke to, especially voters who maybe had other misgivings about Trump, um, they would say, but it all comes down to the Supreme Court. I want someone who's going to choose conservative Supreme Court justices. And usually that often one of the key issues motivating that concern was the abortion issue. So President Trump, of course, has now chosen two Supreme Court justices, and that has shifted the balance to the right sort of setting the stage for what a lot of anti-abortion rights groups have been hoping to do for many, many years, which is to pass laws at the state legislature level that could then work their way through the court system. And um, these activists hope they've in many states, including Iowa and Alabama and others, been very open about the fact that they hope to uh, set up a challenge to Roe v. Wade and other Supreme Court precedent that guarantees the right to an abortion and essentially give the court an opportunity to erode those rights.
0: That's Sarah McCammon. She covers abortion, reproductive rights, and much more for NPR as a national correspondent. Sarah, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you. Let's turn now to Jennifer Welch, CEO of Planned Parenthood of Illinois. Jennifer, welcome to The Morning Shift. Thank you for having me, Jen. What was your reaction when you first heard about the proposed um, Trump administration rule back when it was announced in February?
3: The first concern that I have as a CEO of Planned Parenthood of Illinois is for our patients. Last year, Our organization served more than 70,000 patients at our 17 health centers around the state. So, of course, I'm worried about those folks, especially the people that your colleague referred to. These are the people who can't otherwise afford services. And her point is a very accurate one. They might not even know that they're Title X recipients. So, the people who sort of have the
0: least resources
3: and perhaps the most to lose are the ones who are impacted by this
0: regulation. What specifically have you been doing since this proposed rule was announced?
3: Planned Parenthood's all across the country, ours being one of the direct grantees that has the most to lose, we've been fighting in every possible way. In courts, there's still litigation pending. In courts, mostly on the West Coast, and Planned Parenthood is a partner in those lawsuits with Organizations like the American Medical Association and attorneys generals from from states all over the country, so we've been fighting in the courts and of course we've been encouraging Congress to act because they have the ability to fix this. The House already has taken steps to fully and appropriately fund Title X without these new restrictions, and the Senate needs to do the same.
0: Help us understand what this means for women here in Illinois. It
3: means $3.5 million of funding lost. That's the grant that our organization had for this year. As I mentioned, we served about 70,000 patients. So what you have is tens or thousands of patients whose care is at risk because of this regulation. And um, it is the case that about 10% of our budget was federal 10 funding. So imagine the risk to all of those patients across the state. It's especially important to people in central Illinois, where Planned Parenthood is the only Title 10 provider for six counties in central Illinois. Those patients may have the most difficult time finding care now that we are being bullied by the federal government to reject this funding. Can
0: you explain the scope of care women were able to access through this funding? The biggest
3: provision is about birth control. So it's really the it's the nation's family planning grant. It's been around for decades, and Planned Parenthood has been participating for decades in this care. So definitely family planning, all forms of birth control, as well as STI testing and treatment. So it's, it's really been an important portion of sexual and reproductive health care for patients that couldn't otherwise afford that care.
0: Well, the Department of Health and Human Services issued a statement saying, in part, quote, any organization that decides not to participate in Title X is, quote, abandoning their obligation to serve their patients under the program. How, how do you respond to that?
3: Our patients come to us because they expect the best information and the superior health care that we provide. And we have been following the regulations providing that care for decades. So it's not Planned Parenthood that's abandoning these patients. It's the federal government. It's the Trump-Pence administration. It's these new regulations, which everybody realizes is really done to defund Planned Parenthood, to make that campaign promise real.
0: In the absence of your organization providing services through Title X funding, what who steps into the gap that's left there?
3: Well, I want to be clear that Planned Parenthood's doors are still open here in Illinois and all over the country. In Illinois, we are fortunate to have the generous support of donors who are subsidizing this care for at least a year. So I I can promise our patients that they can still get the care.
0: I'm not certain what
3: happens after
0: that. Planned Parenthood has described this policy change as a gag rule. Explain that use of terminology.
3: We call it a gag rule because medical professionals are being scripted by federal regulations. So politicians are telling clinicians and healthcare assistants and doctors and nurses what they can and cannot say. It not only violates medical ethics, but it's the very definition of a gag rule. It's not just that we can't provide the care, it's that we can't even refer to the care. So imagine that you are a young woman who comes to Planned Parenthood for services. If you have a pregnant if you have a positive pregnancy test and you ask for information, the professionals there simply cannot mention or refer you to an abortion.
0: What are you hearing from doctors and other healthcare providers? Healthcare
3: providers oppose this because they know it's against their medical ethics. What they have a responsibility to do is to provide the care that people need and to base their decisions on medical ethics and, and the medical rules, not regulations designed by a conservative administration.
0: Are you having conversations with the Pritzker administration about what this rule means here in Illinois?
3: We are very fortunate to partner with the Pritzker administration, and we are talking with them about how to best serve all of the patients in Illinois. And what options are open to you at the state level? Well, the state has said that it will... um, cover the difference, the loss of funding for its direct grantees or the sub grantees that it has through the Illinois Department of Public Health. Planned Parenthood of Illinois is a direct grantee, so the state is not making up the difference
0: for us in this funding. So you have some short-term solutions, but longer term, talk about the strategy. Planned Parenthood and other organizations have brought legal challenges. We're seeing them come from about 20 Different states. Uh, uh, federal courts said last month that the policy change could take place despite those ongoing challenges. So, what does the legal strategy look like going forward?
3: Well, there is a legal strategy, and then there's also the congressional strategy that I mentioned because Congress has the power to stop this gag rule and to protect the full range of reproductive health care. So People can call their elected officials in Congress and tell them that they support women having access to the information and the the ability to get a safe and legal abortion in the United States still. And so we will pursue our court actions. There is an opportunity for congressional action. And of course, when the administration changes, we start all over again.
0: That's Jennifer Welch, CEO of Planned Parenthood of Illinois. Jennifer, thanks for coming in to speak with us.
3: Thanks for having me, Jen.
0: The nonprofit iGrow Chicago has renovated a house in the Inglewood neighborhood and converted it into a resource center for community members. The new Family Resource House is part of the organization's growing Peace Campus on the 6400 block of South Honore Street. Joining me now for more on the organization are co-executive directors, Aaron Vogel, and Director of Community Engagement, Peace Coleman. Welcome to the morning, Chef. Good
1: morning, Jen. Hello. Thanks for having
0: us. So first, tell us more about how this organization got started. Erin?
1: Igro Chicago has been around for about five years now and the way we got started was that our founder Robin Carroll was teaching yoga in schools and quickly realized that in order to make an impact on the kids, she had to get way deeper in that. And that means getting to their parents, those who are often left out of conversations. And so what Robin did is she was looking for a while for a house to turn into a community center and happened across 6402, South Honore that was up for demolition and she had a table full of subway sandwiches asked neighbors, including my co-executive director, Quinton, do you want to take back your community? And the answer was yes. And so what she did is she paid contractors not to do the work but to train our neighbors on how to rebuild a home. And so thus our Peace House and our organization started with really a coming up from community, ran by community
0: for community. And Peace, talk a little bit more about the resources that are available.
4: People come in for IDs all the time. People come in for bus cards. We like to say that $1 saves a life because $1 can buy us our bus cards. Um, we also just have simple communication. I think communication is the biggest resource that we have because we give people a chance to engage in things that they haven't engaged in. And that's just the truth of themselves.
0: self. Well, and it also sounds like an important part of this is having the community reshape the community on their own, like ha- knowing what they need, knowing what's necessary, and letting them lead the efforts.
1: Exactly. We have to do it that way. We have to. Our community is, is the greatest resources and strength that we have.
0: Well, you recently celebrated the opening of the Family Resource House, which is now part of the organization's Peace Campus. Peace, how did that come together?
4: Um, it was a long process. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, August 15 came, and like I like to say, um, the transition is hard. But it was worth the patience because now we have a wellness house on the block. And our children can develop in early stages with a better um, understanding of what education is. Um, our families can come in and get resources that they never had. And the women of our neighborhoods can um, get that healing center that they never had. What do <laughs> some
0: of those resources look like in practice, Erin? So
1: resources in practice could be anything from therapy and real mental health. Also yoga. We have prenatal um yoga available, and postnatal, it can be something just one-on-one counseling, creative expression, um, and really like what P said earlier with the IDs and bus cards, this workforce development of how do we really bring people who have the resources to community who needs the resources.
0: Now the Family Resource House will also serve as affordable family housing, and Marquita Dixon, a.k.a. Cece, (laughs) is its first tenant. Tell us about her piece.
4: Griselda is a wonderful person. Um, Griselda is a wonderful person. Um, She is a single mother. Um, I've watched her um, work hard on just trying to become herself and um, really be true to the person that she is, which is a a black queen. But also she's a a woman of the ghetto, woman of the hood, but she has a higher understanding that she's she's much more than that.
0: Now she'll volunteer 10 hours a week in exchange for rent. And so what kind of work will she be doing with the organization?
1: So... Cece Griselda queen, right um beautiful queen she will be doing a lot of admin work for us that's something she's already been doing so kind of keeping up with her roles and responsibility with that and she's tending to the house right yes. um so that that's a huge responsibility and there's no blueprint for how to do this so um we'll we'll have to learn as we go and grow
0: because I really want you to explore a little bit more the importance of having a community space like this in the neighborhood
4: I mean it's very key um we need spaces to um be able to manifest opportunities to have space right um spaces can create anything and um I think with the development of these houses with this nature park with the basketball court, i mean it's all tied into one because these are things that this community and um similar communities around this city have never seen and um I think that this is um really a pillar um it's a it's a, it's an outbreak and we're going to try to spread this' like a disease and just a culture of change and a culture of peace.
1: Driving around Inglewood and down our block, right, there's not space for people to just hang out and be, right? And so it's, it's key that, that we, are, we are building and using our resources and me as a white woman to bring in people to really see what's going on here, right? Um, it is important that we're investing into real space for people
4: to
0: connect and belong, and that is fundamental for human connection. Talk about some of the tangible in- impact your organization has had in the Inglewood neighborhood piece.
4: Some things that stand out to me is just the fact that um, people can come into our house and call it grandmother's house. Mm -hmm. Um, Above our door we have, if in doubt, love. Um, I think that those are the most tangible things that we can have because they can stay with these people forever, um, even though they seem so minor. Um, They're just simple things, simple quotes, simple life lessons, mantras, and um, practices that we're trying to give the um, community to really be able to heal in the right way.
0: Erin, what about for you? It is
1: truly building connections, and it goes way outside of Inglewood, right? Like we say frequently, Lincoln Park downtown, they have to care about what's going on in our city. The average life expectancy in Inglewood is 30 years less than the life expectancy downtown. So understanding that the systemic racism is real, and we work with the communities that are most impacted by that. So to be able to see the the bridges going in and out of Inglewood is incredibly powerful. And we've done heat maps from like where our services are. We've had people from Indiana, out south, out west, right? Like all over. And our target area of impact is in this inch-wide, mile-deep kind of method with a five-block radius. so we can really make an impact there. But what we've seen is it's really spreading. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I just Chicago is in the process of renovating four other houses on Honore Street. What are the next steps with that? Baby
1: steps. Baby <laughs> steps is the answer. We breathe. Um, we we know that we have to grow into this. We do have two additional properties that we've purchased because homes are getting torn down left and right. And that adds and perpetuates trauma, right? Seeing grandma's house getting torn down hurts. And so it's, we're going to see what happens with this resource house. We know that housing is key for our neighbors. We have worked with so many people that are experiencing homelessness or just housing vulnerable in general. And we also know that we need more space to create, right? We've asked, we've held many community forums. What do you want to see? And we know that we need a rec center. We know that we want a recording studio, right? mm-hmm. a space for art, um, a workshop. Um, but we have to grow into it. So that's going to take time.
0: Yes. I mean, P, so much of this you're, that you're talking about is about relationship, right? Yes. It's about knowing your neighbors. It's about looking out for the kid who may not be yours, yes. <laughs> but yes. you still, you still claim them. Talk about some of the ripple effects you've seen from the relationships that are being formed through your
4: work. Um, I could just give, um, a short example. Like, um, on um, me coming onto the block and being a director of community engagement. But at the same time, I was the same individual as these people on the blocks. Mm-hmm. So when I went into their households and just to have simple conversations about, hey, come down and get an ID, you know, I got a lot much more because their mom got the yelling and then their baby got the crying. And then when I turned around, they were taking out the garbage. And I looked at them and I said, man, that's me. And um, I think that that's the biggest relationship piece that, um, that we build. We let people allow themselves to see them and, and everybody else
0: all right that's peace coleman and aaron vogel of the nonprofit i grow chicago thanks so much for stopping by thanks for having us thank been. you and that's it for today's morning shift have a question or comment you can always hit us up at twitter at wbez morning and i'm at j white pub radio i'm jen white thanks for listening and let's talk again soon